And we're live with Be Green with Amy. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to Be Green with Amy. I'm Amy. In 2012, I adopted a whole food plant-based lifestyle, and I've had fantastic health, and I've maintained my weight loss. And I have knowledge and tips for us. I'm glad you're here, too. Let me know where you're watching from in the comments, okay? And feel free to comment like be strong be well and be green or you could either like comment share subscribe to be green with amy all these things help others who are searching for health or weight loss solutions on the internet because it moves it on up on the internet algorithm so just go ahead and post your comments and questions we're going to have a q a but i'm going to hold those questions for later on in the broadcast we are really honored to have this special guest today. For the past 35 years, Dr. Michael Clapper, MD, has been focusing upon health-promoting food and lifestyle choices to help reverse disease and prevent the need for hospitalization and surgery. Along with an active telemedicine practice, Dr. Clapper's passion and professional focus is his Moving Medicine Forward initiative to incorporate the teaching of applied nutrition into medical school education worldwide. Welcome, Dr. Clapper. Hi, Amy. Hi to all your listeners. Great to be with you. I'm so glad you're here. You know, you have had such a long list of contributions and credentials, things that you've done all throughout the past 35 years and are still doing today and looking into the future. And I don't want to take any of our precious time to list everything that you do. So I'm just going to go ahead and put everything else in the show notes so people can just see all the fabulous things that you do. So I'm really glad that you're here today. Um, you have been for quite a while. You've been vegan or plant-based, as people like to say it. But you uh, didn't always have that incorporated in your medicine practice. Is that right? Yes, I graduated uh, medical school. I, I'm uh, very sad in the distant past, 1972. And for the first 10, nine years of my medical practice, uh, I was uh, basically doing regular blood and guts medicine and working in emergency rooms and operating rooms. Uh, and I got discouraged. Uh, my people were not getting healthier. In fact, the other way, they were getting more obese. Their, their blood pressure's worse, their diabetes getting worse. And I really was despairing until a number of events brought me to plant-based nutrition. Uh, I adopted a plant-based diet. My body loved it. it uh, a 20-pound spare tire of fat melted off my waist in about 12 weeks. My high blood pressure went to normal. My high cholesterol went to normal. I felt great waking up in a nice, lean body every day. And so I brought that to my medical practice, and my patients who were able to follow that dietary style uh, experienced the same benefits. They got leaner, their high blood pressure came down, their diabetes got better. I was able to get them off their medications. And ever since, that was, that was 1981, I've, uh, I've become the happiest doctor I know. My, my patients get healthy right before my eyes. It's, it's just the greatest thrill in medicine. And so, uh, yes, for the last uh, 30 plus years or 35 years, I've been a plant-based doctor and uh, it's the greatest professional joy in my life, no question. 
Yeah, and we were just also fortunate to have you accessible because for some of us, we've only discovered this lifestyle recently. I mean, I discovered it in 2012 and I've learned so much and then there are people that are just finding out about it now, which is wonderful that there's so much more information out there and people like you that have had so much experience and years of incorporating this in, not only into your lifestyle, but into your practice so that we can benefit from your knowledge and experience. I remember I saw well, I've seen a lot of things that you've done on, on the internet as far as, and then I've actually actually got to see you person. I went to Hawaii because it was one of my goals in life was to meet the people at the Vegetarian Society of Hawaii because they, when I first started this lifestyle, that was one of the only resources that I had on the internet to run across people like you. who And you've been there several times. When I found out that you were going to be speaking there, and it was around the time that I wanted to, to visit there anyway. That was just a bonus. And then they had a veg fest and you were going to be at the veg fest. And then you were going to be at another event. There were quite a few different events. I kind of followed you around like a groupie. And I really enjoyed it quite a bit and really benefited from it. And one of the things that I loved you to talk about was the digestive system, the whole system, getting in the mouth. Because I just felt that it, it, it's just so fascinating because there are just... Just in that one area of the body, there are just so many different health concerns and things that can happen to us if we don't put the right foods in our body. Right. Uh, my colleagues, are, uh, now I have a few plant-based gastroenterologists. My, my colleagues in that amazing specialty uh, are finally waking up that what their patients are eating has something to do with these diseases they're, they're treating. You know, you would think of all the specialists, the gastroenterologists would have a good grasp of how food affects their target organ, but distressingly, most of them don't. They don't believe food has much to do with, uh, with Crohn's disease or colitis, but uh, a number of them now are, uh, are awakening to that, Dr. Alan Desmond and, and others. It's, it's really wonderful to see. Uh, and I've been fascinated by this subject for a long time because so many of the problems and complaints people bring to just a primary care doctor have to do uh, with their intestinal tract, whether it's uh, acid reflux or constipation or uh, 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 inflammation, Crohn's disease, colitis, uh, diverticulitis. And, and they're looking for some magical medical cure, some pill that will make it all go away. But, uh, but as the sign I took off the wall in my last office, and it's the food. <laughs> and, and the second, it's, it's been the food all along. People are, gee, my bowels have never worked right. That's right, because you've been living on cheeseburgers and buffalo wings, and no, they're, that's not going to produce normal, uh, normal intestinal function. Uh, so I've taken many of these aspects, starting with just the amazing organ that the digestive system is, and uh, put it on a video that people can watch on my website. It's called Digestion Made Easy. Uh, and if you go to my website, which uh, uh, Jess has put on the, uh, uh, or will be putting up there, drclapper.com, and go over to the video section. And if you want to see Digestion Made Easy, it takes you on a trip from, from the mouth all the way down, esophagus and stomach and small intestine, large intestine, liver, pancreas, all of that. And uh, it's, it's a mini education in, in healthy intestinal function. So, uh, yes, one of my uh, real uh, pet areas of interest. And I'm, 
uh, glad to uh, share that information with my uh, with people who are interested. Well, I tell you, this is this is the time to all the things that you didn't learn in school and wish you did, or didn't, or or didn't had you paying attention, or just the things that you know that you wish that you could have learned about that that video and so many others that you've made. Here it, it comes from a doctor's perspective, but it just makes it so simple to to understand. And and all throughout the video, I, I just kept saying, "Oh my goodness, that makes so so much sense." Because you talk about the, the what Mother Nature made in the body, and this particular part of the body is very fragile, and it wasn't meant to be assaulted like this from this type of food and that type of liquid or pharmaceutical or whatever. And you talk about how over time that these things degrade. And here we have these commercials for all these over-the-counter things that people take every day just to keep from getting heartburn or acid reflux. When meanwhile, like your sign said, it's the food. So I do encourage people to to watch that. Yes, uh, I gave that lecture in person uh, to uh, Rip Esselstyn's Engine 2 uh, gathering a year ago or so. And as I stepped up the microphone, I said, this is, this is a lecture your high school biology teacher should have given you. Uh, you know, this is basic stuff. Everybody ought to know this. And when I've been lecturing at the medical schools, uh, uh, it's a larger lecture, but I get up to the microphone saying, this is what I wish someone had told me 50 years ago when I was a first year med student. And, and so much of it is the beauty of the basic sciences, how this amazing body works. Uh, if you understand that, then, then so much else makes uh, common sense. And whether you're a med student or just a person who owns a, an intestinal tract, it's, uh, it's important information to have. Yeah, and you were talking about gastroenterologists, and I had visited one and had gone through a colonoscopy. He showed me the photographs that he took, which was really fun to, to see because I'm just kind of a little biology geek. He said, your colon is that of a 25-year-old. And and he said, and I only see that in two uh, segments of the population. And he said, one is of Asian descent and the other one is vegans. So it was kind of like going to a parent-teacher conference and you have straight, and your kid has straight A's and you get to just hear the hear the good results. So it was it was really very, very nice to to see that. Great of course, story. he said, and I said, said so the population group of Asians, and he said, well, only first generation. He said once they come to the United States or away from their food, then no. And I was very surprised. You know, he didn't have anything in his office encouraging the lifestyle, but I was just, it was almost like he knew that, but he didn't think that anybody else would care to hear about it. So mm. except for me, I enjoyed it though. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. The, the doors open a little bit in his mind there. That's good. At least he noticed that, that the, the vegans yeah. have happy colleagues. That's a start for him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was I was really tickled when, when he did notice that. That was really great. Mm -hmm. One of the things that a lot of people talk about is the colonoscopy. I know that for some people, you know, when they reach a certain age, their doctors recommend it. So even if it's just for, you know, preventative reasons, a lot of people, when they go, their gastroenterologists will recommend that they certain prep and also about their diet before the colonoscopy and how they need to avoid foods with fiber and, and things like that. And you can't give specific medical advice to somebody because everybody's different. But in general, for those who are about to get a colonoscopy just for that checkup, and they want to stick to this 
lifestyle, what do you recommend? Well, a uh, complex question, but we've got some time to explore it. Uh, colon cancer, serious business, it kills people, and it and it has a large food component, which I'll talk about in a second. Now, there is a genetic component, and if someone tells me that their father, two brothers, and an uncle all died of colon cancer at age 40, clearly they've got a genetic propensity towards that disease, and they need to be more vigilant than the person that, no, nah, no, nobody in our family's ever had colon cancer, just not an issue. So, so you have to take the genetics somewhat into account. But I feel by far the greater uh, causative factor, uh, even in those people who may have a genetic propensity, uh, is the food we're putting down through that colon, the food that is smearing on the wall of the colon in two ways. One, uh, when you cook meat, uh, whether when you roast the chicken breast, you broil the steak, you grill the burger, there, you inevitably, you absolutely, the chemistry dictates uh, that um, that uh, you, certain compounds, uh, aromatic hydrocarbons, are going to be created, uh, heterocyclic hydrocarbons that are carcinogenic. They they set off cancers, and. Uh, if you're eating a, a significant amount of cooked meat, and most people do two, three times a day, uh, it's rubbing it on your stomach wall while it's in the stomach and goes through the intestine and will rub on not only the colon wall, but usually the same spot of the colon due to the anatomy of the colon. So you get the, this constant exposure to uh, carcinogenic compounds that are rubbing against the colon. That's one uh, uh, causative factor. Plus, if you're eating a bunch of sugar uh, and, and oils, you're going to summon up uh, a set of microbes in the gut whose byproducts are inflammatory. You're going to summon up bacteroidetes and other microbes, clostridia, that uh, their products that they secrete uh, irritate the gut wall. And you put those two together. Um, you, you irritate, you inflame the gut wall, and then you rub carcinogenic hydrocarbons on it. You can't be surprised after 20, 30 years of doing that, that a colon cancer sprouts out from the wall. It starts with polyps, which is what the doctor is looking for, but you can get a full-blown colon cancer from, from that. Well, our vegan friends, are if, if all you're eating is rice and beans and greens and fruits and vegetables, you're not putting down those hydrocarbons uh, that are going to irritate the gut wall or provoke a cancer. And the microbes you're going to summon up in your, in your gut flora are going to be much more friendly. They're going to be more of the Prevotella kingdom uh, that, is, that, that suppresses cancer growth and quenches free radicals. Uh, and so, again, it's the food, it's the food, it's the food. So when I get people coming to me, should I get a colonoscopy? Yeah, from what I just said, you can you can deduce. I'm going to ask, what's your family history? Do you have anybody in your family, especially first-degree relatives close to you, have it? Uh, and what's your daily diet? How long have you been plant-based? And uh, and as you say, I can't give specific advice. But if a person, oh man, I've been vegan since I was a kid. Um, I've you know never, you know, I just don't eat meat. I don't eat junky sugars, etc. Um, and I've got no family history. They can either not get a colonoscopy or get one colonoscopy. And if that is squeaky clean, um, I, I don't know if I would get another one. Uh, it depends on, on their age, of course. But the rest you could follow along with um, uh, just checking the stool every year for, for blood. 
um, or these Coligard tests to check for the DNA of colon cancer, sending off one of those you know, every couple of years, uh, this probably would give you the uh, surveillance you need. If there's any question, any blood in the stool, um, you can do have the doctor do a flexible sigmoidoscopy. Uh, this is only about a 24-inch uh, flexible scope, not a full six-foot uh, flexible colonoscope. Uh, and because most cancers start in the lower part of the colon there. Uh, and uh, so if, if the doctor insists on a scope procedure, uh, talk to him or, her or him about just a flexible sigmoidoscopy. So again, it depends who you are, what you're eating, how long it's been. But it, you know, if we raise our kids on plant-based diets and they just never put meat and, and, and sugars and dairy down there, the, the odds of them sprouting out of colon cancer are tiny, tiny, tiny. And we need to realign our, our guidelines to that. So everyone needs to make their own decision on that. I'm not telling anybody what to do, but for, but to just in, ref, in contrast to the standard care, everybody should get a colonoscopy every other year. Well, if you're eating the American diet and you got a strong history, yeah, maybe. But as we evolve past that, then I think the need for that type of procedure uh, recedes uh, dramatically. Well, it's good to hear. It's nice that they've come up with a less invasive or non-invasive, I guess, test that's, that's pretty reliable because mm -hmm. there are quite a few risks anytime you have anesthesia or anytime you have a procedure. And so it's a shame that there are some people, like you said, that may not be at risk, and but they're putting themselves at risk is what I'm saying oh. with these invasive procedures. Yes, so. you do it on enough people, and you're going to perforate somebody's colon. You're going to set off a bleed in there. Again, some, you know, the odds are pro certainty. You do a thousand or two thousand of them, the odds are something's going to happen. So, and you don't want to be that one person on the table there with the, who gets perforated. So, I'm not saying that it has no use. And, and again, if a person has a strong family history, they're passing bloody stools, they've got discomfort. Absolutely, they, they have a colonoscopy is indicated, uh, but just as a screening procedure. Uh, in, P in asymptomatic people over the huge population. I don't think everybody, especially on plant-based diets, uh, needs a, a, a full colonoscopy every other year. That seems excessive to me. Now, some people, when they adopt this lifestyle, they complain about gas and they yep. think that maybe it's the beans or, or something like that. And unfortunately, if they don't have any advice, they sometimes give up on the lifestyle thinking that maybe it's just not for them. Yes, and that's by far, I would have to say, the most common complaint I get about uh, people involved to plant-based diets. So a couple of comments. <clears throat> um, we're talking about eating a diet that's high in carbohydrates. We are carbohydrate-burning creatures. The Mitochondria in our cells burn sugars, not fats, and our primary fuel is, is carbohydrates. And throughout the ages, we fueled ourselves, whether it's the roots and tubers, our ancient ancestors uh, got most of their calories from, and now the you know, grains and potatoes and starches. This is where most of the calories come from in, in the Western diet and in the, in the healthy human diet. And if you're going to be eating carbohydrates, uh, the, the microbes down in your gut uh, many of them are able to take the, the, the sugars in, in those starches uh, and turn them into carbon dioxide and methane. You know, everybody's going to produce a bit of gas on, on, on a whole food plant-based diet. They're going to produce it on a flesh-based diet too. Uh, but uh, 
there, there's always going to be some fermentation, but uh, a couple of things to minimize this. One is that, yes, there are some sugars on the surface of beans called hemicellulose and other legumes, uh, chickpeas, uh, uh, lentils, um, that are especially fermentable and into gas. And because the microbes on our gut change in response to what we're eating, uh, I'd tell people, if you've adopted a plant-based diet and you've pulled out the meat, don't think, oh boy, now I got to eat lots of beans. And, you know, your very next meal or the first meal of, in the plant-based world is, you know, two cups of bean chili. Well, that's going to just crash into your colon there. And the microbes down there are going to take them by surprise. And there's going to be a, lot, a fair amount of gas produced from that. And so the folks that are really prone to that, I say, listen, there, there's no emergency here. Nutrition's never emergency. Um, and if you're making this transition, you know, cook up some bean chili or some lentil stew, but just start with a tablespoon once a day, you know, and put a small amount down there. Just give your colon microbes, hey, we're going to, you're going to start seeing legume uh, uh, proteins and legume carbohydrates down here, you know, start, start adapting to it and take a few months to slowly increase uh, the, uh, the the amount of legume protein and legume starches that you're eating, uh, that alone will will uh, let, let you enter onto a plant-based trail there with uh, with less gas production. Second, the majority of gas that is down in our colon is not produced there. Most of it is swallowed air. Swallowed air, yeah. Um, and if you got a fork full of rice there, in between the grains of rice, there's air. Uh, if you've got a spirit of Floretta broccoli, there's Florida, there's air down the Floretta broccoli. There's air in the, between the leaves of lettuce and a salad. And people put the food in their mouth to choose. They're in a hurry. They're talking. They're to, down it goes. Well, you swallow that air as well. And you swallow 20, 30 times in a meal, you're going to have a good half pint of air down your stomach. And... Once that airs down your stomach, it's going to go one or two places. It's going to go up and go down. You know, you either release it discreetly from above, or it's going to go down and cause distension and, and bloating, and then you pass it as, as latest there and blame the beans. But the reality is that if people just slow down and you know put the fork down and make salad puree in your mouth, if you really chew the food well to a cream. Um, you not only will get more nutrients absorbed into your bloodstream because you've broken down the food to small particles, but chewing the, the food that well forces the air out of the food and you'll swallow a lot less air and have a lot less gas there. So start with this. Um, uh, introduce the legumes slowly. Chew your food to a cream. If at the end of the meal you feel you got a stomach from the, full of air, release it discreetly from above. And realize if I can be uh, a little uh, slight expletive here, you know, all mammals fart. Every cow does, every deer does, every buffalo, every gorilla, you know, they're, they're all carbohydrate eaters and all animals pass some flatus. It's not a disease. It's, it's not telling you I can't eat this food. I, it gives me gas. You know, everyone does that. The, one of the, if I can, I'll be honest here, one, one positive uh, uh, advantage that people don't talk about is this. the <clears throat> When people complain of bad breath, uh, I got halitosis, and they use these mouthwash. What's really happening 
is they're usually they're eating a meat-based diet. And as the meat goes down the intestine and sits the intestine at 98 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, the bacteria in the gut decompose it. And what's released are some really foul smelling molecules called corpusine and putrescine and cadaverine. Uh, and they smell terrible. It gets absorbed into the bloodstream, rides through your blood into your lungs and crosses into the alveolar air and you breathe it out on your breath. That bad breath is not in your mouth. It's not food particles in your mouth. It's actually coming uh, from the food you ate. It really is on your breath. Well, when people switch to a vegan diet, one thing, hey, my bad breath went away. That's right. Guess what? Those same molecules work their way out into your skin oils. And a lot of that macho man gym body odor smell that guys get, it's really the steak dinner and the burgers that they've been eating. That's working out their skin oils. And, and I've heard many times um, that uh, the guys will say, hey, by the way, my wife told me my body odor's gone away. Uh, and yep, that, that, that's, that's another good advantage. Well, guess what else starts smelling better when people do pass uh, flatus uh, from down below there? It doesn't smell because rice and beans doesn't uh, create those molecules. And so it's, uh, you know, even though you may pass a little more wind there, uh, it's, it's much less socially embarrassing uh, because of the, the fundamental change you've made in the food uh, molecules that, are, that the bacteria work on. So uh, don't worry if you pass a little wind. It, and that's going to change um, the, the microbes in your gut respond to the food you eat. So you'll eat a particular set of food for, you know, for a week or so. And the, and the microbes in the gut will be less gas producers. And then you'll have less gas for a week or two or three. But then you change your diet, a few restaurant meals, whatever, and you bring up the gas producers and you pass some more gas uh, for, you know, for a few weeks. And then that subsides. And like everything else, it goes in waves. But it's just biology. It's not a disease. And people don't have to abandon a plant-based diet uh, because they notice a bit of abdominal distension there or passable flatus there. It's okay. You ask any gorilla. It's okay. You have said that you are, uh, you're not what you eat. You are what you absorb. I heard you say that. That's one of your quotes. And you were talking about the chewing. And I guess it's important to chew your food to a cream. Yeah, it really is. Uh, the, uh, as you just said, um, uh, you're not, people say you are what you eat. Well, really, from the physiologic point of view, you're not what you eat, not what you swallow. You are what you absorb. Unless the nutrients in the food can get across the intestinal membranes and into your bloodstream, uh, they it is, might well not have eaten it. They just pass out uh, down the toilet there, and, and you haven't gotten the nutritional advantage out of them. So you really have to... Uh, to get the food in the most absorbable state possible. And that comes down to using these 32 magnificent juicers that Mother Ga Nature gave us, 16 in our upper jaw and 16 in our lower jaw. Uh, but you really want to chew that food well because all the, all the nutrient goodies in our food, the vitamins and minerals and proteins and starches, they're locked up in these little chambers of cellulose, the cells of a plant, that have these cell walls made of cellulose. And we do not have the enzymes to, to break down cellulose like termites do. We don't. And, but we got to break down those cell walls or else we can't absorb the nutrients. So how do we break down those cell walls? Chew your food to a cream. 
it makes really it's you know it's when you taste the food you know we uh, uh, as I say you know put a fork full of salad in your mouth put the bloody fork down make salad puree in your mouth and just be with that that mouthful of salad you know it's such a miracle those wonderful people grew that food and harvested the food and brought it to the market or brought it to your front door yeah and it's life sustaining. Tens, instead of watching TV and just shoveling the food in and when I'm trying to, we got, I got a Zoom meeting in five minutes, you know, arrange your day to, to really, you know, turn off the television and be with the act of, of taking in nourishment. It's such a miracle. And there's so many people on planet Earth in Syria and, and Yemen tonight that have no food. You know, so, so we, we take it for granted. So slow down. Uh, and and chew and taste these foods and and be grateful for them. Be fully, be a salad eater. Be a be a uh, uh, be a rice eater for that moment. And uh, be, it's really uh, it's an existential exercise that really increases your appreciation as well as your absorption. Right. That's something a lot of especially Americans. A lot of the food on the standard diet. You don't even really have to chew it. It's just been so, so processed that there's very little amount of chewing. I think that people have to learn how to chew, which is what, what their body was designed to do. They have to learn. And it's good to slow down because we, have, we do have quite a bit of things going on in our lives that can give us stress. And that's the time to slow down. Sit down, not standing over your sink like a lot of people do. <laughs> just sit Absolutely. down and, and have a meal. Yeah. And, you know, the, the COVID epidemic or pandemic has, you know, it distorted our lives in so many ways and taken so much from us. But if you look hard, there's little silver linings here and there. Little pearls have been given to us. And one of them might be more time at home to actually prepare meals and sit down with your family and and enjoy them. And uh, and if, if you're lucky enough to, to now have that a uh, wonderful pearl of time that uh, take advantage of it as far as preparing your food. And, and in general, uh, I would urge people, um, uh, speaking of COVID, uh, we see that a major threat to life, if you get this virus, um, is obesity and diabetes. Uh, these are both reversible conditions. And it's been so distressing for me to see the missed opportunities uh, throughout this whole pandemic chapter over this year. And one of them was early, even last March, a year ago when we first started these lockdowns, how I wish somebody from the government, state government, the medical profession, somebody got on TV and looked at the camera and said, listen, you guys are going to be hunkered down for eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever it's going to be. Use this time. This is the time to start eating healthy, start exercising at home, walk around the block, shed that extra weight so you emerge from this cocoon leaner and healthier and less insulin resistant. And, uh, and count this as a blessing. You've been given this time. Use it. But uh, woe, is, woe to us. Many people are doing the opposite. They're, they're sitting on the couch and just shoving in, shoveling in junk food and apparently obesity is going up. But it doesn't have to be that way. And one of the beauties of a whole food, plant-based diet with lots of salads and soups and steamed veggies, it's mostly fiber and water. And you, the more you eat, the leaner you get. I mean, if you go back for a fourth bowl of vegetable soup, who cares? You know, it's all fiber and water. It doesn't stick to you. 
So a, a real advantage, get on that whole food, underlying whole food, that you can't do this on vegan Oreos uh, and, and peanut butter. You got to really eat whole foods there. But if you do, if you're filling your belly up with that, it's guilt-free, joyful eating. And the bonus is you will emerge leaner and healthier with normal blood pressure and little or no diabetes. So again, um, it'd be nice to have our health directors not only said get leaner, but here's how you do it. Whole food, plant-based eating, folks, is what you want to do now. Boy, it would have changed so much uh, for the better. But that's what we're trying to do here with, with our conversation and, and how uh, us working in the fields we do, trying to get, get this message out to tell people plant-based is where it's at. Be green. <laughs> yes, be green. And the message is getting out there. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing more and more people um, coming my way and asking questions. You know, like you said, there is a little silver lining. And I, another silver lining is um, have more access to knowledgeable professionals like yourself, where you're making a, a stronger internet presence so that the knowledge can be out there and available because there's just so many aspects of this lifestyle to learn about so many different diseases and medical issues that affect people it's not just for one disease it's, it, it helps for many and so it's really important to take advantage of the fact that that information is now available now more than ever and i, I wanted to get back to the people who may struggle with the lifestyle Another group seg segment of people that I hear from is people who have maybe like colitis or Crohn's and things like that, and they go and they, you know, try to have a, a big salad and, and other raw foods, and it seems that sometimes that that could be a struggle for them. For the most part, I think when people adopt this lifestyle, it's basically the same for almost anyone, but maybe... Is it different for people with issues like that? Oh, absolutely. Uh, if you've got uh, a condition of intestinal inflammation, and it's quite dramatic when the doctor puts the scope inside, um, instead of being a pink, healthy colon wall, it's fiery red and angry and bleeding and raw. It looks like a scraped knee. If you've got a cold like that, no, you probably don't want to be putting uh, raw salads and fried fried tofu down there. Uh, no, you want every meal that you eat, when it gets down to your intestinal wall and slides along there, uh, you want it to give the chemical message to your colon wall and your intestinal wall. Shh, you know, calm down. Everything's okay. Uh, and there are foods, uh, squash and cantaloupe and, uh, um, and uh, blended steamed vegetables that can you know, be very helpful uh, for people recovering from this condition. Smoothies, especially green smoothies, can, uh, uh, can be very beneficial as well. I have on my website, if you go to drclamper.com uh, and you go to my answer section, I've got uh, handouts there on people, uh, what people should eat with Crohn's and colitis, with inflammatory bowel disease. So it basically lays out a, uh, a, a protocol to do this. But absolutely, the, the, uh, uh, the best things to do are those very soothing foods and, and steamed uh, summer squash, um, melons, various type mashed bananas, uh, these are very helpful for you know for a number of days. And then you slowly start adding foods back in. Well cooked rice um, uh, uh, that's very wet. It's called a congee, where you make it with extra water, so it's almost a, a rice pudding. 
uh, that's a very soothing food to put down on the gut wall. So there's an art uh, to using food to help settle down uh, the, these various inflammatory uh, intestinal diseases. Uh, and again, you can find this on my website on my Crohn's and colitis uh, handout there. Well, that's great. That is a wonderful resource that people, I encourage you all to, to check that out because you do have a lot of different resources depending on what where people are at at this lifestyle and, and which diseases that they may be concerned about. An another digestive issue that I've heard people say, uh, diverticulitis, they talk about that they can't have seeds. So oh what do you say about that? Yeah. Oh, my colleagues in gastroenterology, God love them. They're doing the best they can. But it's, uh, you know, I kind of joke, but it isn't a joke, you know, uh, literally of, and I'm not, you know, there's something to criticize, including with primary care docs, and I'm not hurling stones. But it's it's sad that the cardiologists don't under, don't appreciate how much the main disease they're working on, the plaques in the arteries, how you can melt those away with a whole food plant-based diet. They're into stents and statins and bypasses. Well, the same thing with the gastroenterologist, that, um, uh, uh, that most of them don't believe that food has anything to do with these diseases. I, I asked them, do you think what your patients are eating has anything to do with the diverticulitis? Nah, never been any studies show food makes any difference. Have you looked, doctor? Not well, no, but... There've never been any studies. You know, they, uh, you know, it's some autoimmune thing. It's some I mean, inflammation. They just need prednisone, and it's you know sad and distressing to hear that. When the problem is the food, and the dogma gets locked into their teachings as to them. One of them is that if you've got diverticulitis uh, or diverticulosis, and um, these, um, what this condition is, is normally, you know, when when. You know, we have basically the same digestive system that our gorilla and bonobo cousins have. They're up in the trees eating leaves and fruit. They don't get constipation. They don't get diverticulitis. They pass these big soft stools twice or three times a day uh, from their high fiber whole food diet. And that's what we should be eating and functioning as well. And when we're eating that kind of diet with lots of fiber, a lot of rice and beans and greens and fruits and vegetables, and we pass these large, soft fecal masses. It's easy for the intestine to, to get a purchase on that fecal mass and push it along down to the colon with very little pressure. It slides on. That's what, what the system's designed for. But if you're eating a, a food stream with no fiber in it, and meat has no fiber, dairy has no fiber, the white bread essentially has no fiber. If you're eating, if you're living on white bread and cheese and meats and chicken and fish fillets and all of that, the, the stool mass that you're presenting to the colon is so small and fiberless that it's hard for the colon to get a purchase on the stool mass to push it along. And when it does, it has got to push it along with really high pressure. And the air pressure in the colon builds up because the colon is squeezing so hard that if there's any weak spots in the colon wall, the high air pressure in the colon will pop, pop out these pockets, these herniations out from the colon wall. Those are called diverticuli, and they're, they're out-pocketing of the, of the colon wall. And they will trap fecal matter and, and, and food and get infected, and then that's called diverticulitis. And that's serious business. It hurts. It requires antibiotics, and sometimes 
if the diverticulum perforates and fecal matter spills out into the abdomen, you wind up with, with peritonitis that can kill you. And so it's a serious condition. And I don't know, I guess some pathologists in the 1920s doing an autopsy on somebody when they cut into a diverticulum, saw some, some tiny little seed material that, ah, see, that's what did it. Well, that isn't when when they really look at people who get in trouble from diverticulitis, they, they, there was a, a chance finding, and by and large we don't find that. But the but the more important thing is, uh, uh, you know, if, it, if that's going to be a factor, it's going to be people who weren't told to change their diet. They're still eating the meat and the cheese and the dairy and the tomatoes. And yeah, I guess the tomato seed might get caught in there because they haven't gotten to the root of the problem. But if you're eating a whole food plant-based diet and it's all rice and beans and greens and these big soft stool masses are coming down, even if you did eat some tomatoes or chewed up some nuts, the, the tiny particles that are left are, are in that stool mass. They're just going to slide right on by. They're not going to jump off into the diverticuli. So again, um, the advice they give, don't eat plant foods. No, doctor, that's the opposite of what you want to be telling these people. You should tell them, stop the meat and the cheese and the dairy and eat the rice and beans and greens. And if you want to have some tomatoes, don't worry about it. It'll all be in the stool mass that will pass right on through. Long answer, but... Um, but it's a, it's a it's a sad symptom of of the where the medical profession is right now, which is why we've started our moving medicine forward initiative, where I'm going to the medical schools and giving them the lecture that I wish somebody could be uh, uh, 50 years ago, and tell them it's the food your patients are eating. It's not etiology unknown. It's the food, and we talk about these various diseases, including the the gastrointestinal diseases and. People want to support our our um, moving medicine forward initiative. Again, go to drclapper.com. You'll right on the landing page. You'll see moving medicine forward. You can see what we're doing and how to support us. Right, and it's important. That's very important because we have to start start at the beginning. It, we can't. Some of us have tried to discuss this with our primary care physicians, and because they haven't had the education or the time to get caught up with the news that has happened since the early 1900s that, you know, it needs, needs to be done at the, at the source. And that's with the, the younger doctors and, and yeah. supporting that moving medicine forward, not just monetarily, but even just by clicking on the, on the link and reading what it's about and then telling other people that you know about yeah. it, that itself is going to be helpful. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's embarrassing for my, uh, I'm embarrassed as a physician. I have to apologize for the ignorance of my colleagues many times. And I'm not, I take no joy in saying that, but uh, I've had patients coming to me in tears. I asked my doctor what I should be eating for my blood pressure or my Crohn's disease. And he got angry and he says, when did you go to medical school? And he threw me out of the office. And it's embarrassing that, that people in my profession would do that to their patients. And so, we, so we're trying to reverse that by talking to the younger med students. And uh, be, you know, it, the food is so important. Learn about it and then help your patients with it. There's plant-based dietitians who will do this counseling for you. Find the local ones in your neighborhood, refer to them, and then see the patient back after the dietitian's done the counseling. 
we've got to rearrange how the medical river flows here. It's got to flow through the head of a nutritionally aware doctor who then brings in a nutritionally aware dietitian or health coach and then works with both the patient and the health coach to get those people truly healthier. It's time for medicine to change. And that's what we're about. Well, I'm really pleased that somebody has taken charge to do this because this has been needed for such a long time. And just to prove that, we have comments and questions from people who probably all have a primary care physician, but yet weren't able to ask the question or didn't get an answer that had current knowledge associated with it. So let's get some of the questions up and see what we have. Sure. So let's see, our first question, does dietary oil have any effect on chronic thrush? Oh, that's a good question, chronic thrush. Chronic thrush. Um, it's not as common as people believe. Um, we're talking about a, a, a yeast uh, called Candida albicans. Uh, and little babies will get this in their mouth um, when they're eating, when they're drinking excuse me, sugary formulas or, or, or uh, juices. Um, uh, women uh, will get uh, candida yeast infections vaginally after they've taken antibiotics or they are eating too much sugar and it gets into the vaginal secretions. And the, the, this is places where thrush can show up. Uh, but the question is um, the intestinal tract. Uh, in that candida albicans yeast, it, it belongs there. It's part of the normal in, inhabitants of, the, of your colon. It's called a commensal organism. And it belongs down there with all the other bacteria and yeast and viruses we have down there. And so just because you've got a little candida showing up in the stool culture doesn't necessarily mean you've got thrush. Um, uh, so I would have to see, you know, a four plus overgrowth on a stool culture if a person you know, they look in the toilet after a bowel movement, there's white patches on the stool, uh, and they send uh, the dachshunds off the stool culture, and there's a, you know, it comes back a four-plus growth of candida. There's something going on there. Uh, so you have to ask, what is the person eating? How much sugar are they really eating? Uh, have they taken antibiotics? Uh, is their drinking water healthy? Now, you know, it's a sign rather than the problem. Uh, if you've got a, a yeast overgrowth, then you guys say that's not natural. What you know? What that person really eating, drinking, uh, and you know what else is going on there? But uh, but people, you know, we talked earlier about gas, uh, which uh, most people experience when they first adopt a plant-based. Oh, it must be my thrush giving me this gas. No, uh, the candida doesn't uh, doesn't uh, give you gas like that. So um, so by and large, uh, if people. Increase the variety of the foods they're eating. Cut back on the processed carbohydrates, uh, the, the the breads and the and the vegan pastries and and uh, flour products and the cakes, etc. Cut way back on that. The fruit juices, all of that, uh, and uh, really increase the the raw foods, the salads, etc., uh, and the steamed vegetables. Uh, any candida issues you have should really uh, really settle down. I would far prefer that than assuming that that's the cause of all your health problems. Okay. Well, that, that was very good. Very good answer. I'm sure that was very helpful. Let's see what, if we have another question. Mary Riley. Hi, Mary. Thanks for joining us. Uh, kidney stones, how to prevent mm, and how to deal 
with them when they are present. Mm. Right. Okay. Uh, so most kidney stones happen in meat-eating folks. Uh, they're eating too much meat that gets them uric acid stones. They're eating uh, uh, too much acidic food, too much uh, uh, sugar and meat, uh, fish, etc., will make their urine more acidic. And that chemically favors the precipitation of minerals in their urine that will turn into stones. Um, so first thing to do is one, adopt a whole food plant-based diet. Second, increase your water intake. There, it's a matter of physical chemistry. The, the more dilute the urine is, the harder it is to form a stone there. So uh, if you are forming stones, um, uh, drink, you know, definitely drink more water. Um, and it's important if you if you've had a couple of episodes of stone, if you are officially a stone former, then you should be talking with your primary care doc or your urologist to uh, hopefully, uh, if, if you feel you're passing a stone, you want to pee through. Get a, there are strainers. You can just get one from the hardware store, or they have they have medical strainers uh, to strain your urine. And if you can get a few crystals of the stone, bring them to the urologist. She or he will send it off for analysis. Find out what is the nature of the stone. Is it calcium oxalate? Is it uric acid? What's in the stone? And if it's calcium oxalate, then you probably want to cut back on the, the green vegetables that have lots of oxalic acid. They are in the beet family. They are chard and beet greens. Um, and spinach. Uh, you want to cut way back on those once a week at the most. And you go to the cruciferous vegetables, the uh, uh, the kale and chard and, and Brussels sprouts and broccoli. Uh, those uh, don't have the oxalic acid uh, that would cause problems. So uh, so find out the nature of the stone. Uh, if you're not a whole food plant-based, get there to stop the uric acid stones. Um, by the way, uric acid can, if you eat too much fructose and junk sugars, that can give you uric acid stones. Uh, and uh, again, drink more water, keep your urine dilute, and uh, find out what's your stones and maybe change the greens that you're eating. Now, Dr. Michael Greger has some wonderful uh, uh, short little videos uh, on kidney stone formation uh, on his website, nutritionfacts.org. Uh, check out Dr. Greger's videos on kidney stones. I'm glad you mentioned sugar because there are people that are on a whole food plant-based diet and they, but they're still having trouble giving up that sugar and they could think that this is not, the lifestyle is not helping them, but if they're still having sugar in the diet, that can still be a factor. Absolutely. Yes. Now let's talk about that. Now the sugar we're talking about is table sugar. It's the sugar that's used in candies and cakes and juices, etc. And the problem is that table sugar sucrose is made up of, of a molecule of, of glucose and fructose. And it's the fructose that caused the problem. Lots of fructose, as you get in these sugar compounds, um, as they're metabolized, can generate uric acid. What does this mean? It means um, don't eat sugar as a food, okay? It's a flavoring, okay? A, a half a teaspoon of sugar in your tea is cool. But when you're eating a candy bar or a piece of coffee cake, even a vegan muffin or donut, you're eating sugar as a food and you're flooding your tissues with sugar and that's what causes the problem. Now, everybody's got a sweet tooth, but that's what these wonderful fruits are for. If you've got a yen on for something sugary, have a mango, have some grapes, uh, have, have some cherries, 
that form of fructose with, that comes in with lots of water and vitamins and minerals won't cause you any problem. It's that dead white sugar full of fructose that caused the problem. So, uh, so use fruits and uh, use table sugar as a flavoring only. Don't eat it as a food. Oh, that is such good information. Okay, let's see. Brian G., thanks for joining us, Brian. You did a video about EPA, DHA. What are your thoughts about supplementing? Oh, that's been a hot topic, hasn't it? It sure is. It sure is. We're getting to the top of the hour. Uh, I used to think everybody should be on. If you're a vegan, you don't make uh, DHA out of the linolenic acid. We now know that's not true. Uh, many people, especially young, healthy people, um, if they eat the flax seeds and the walnuts and the chia seeds, their body upregulates the amount in their tissues of these long chain fatty acid DHA that they can make. Uh, so um, if they're asking, does everybody who's vegan need to be on DHA? And I've got a young, healthy vegan woman who every day, like I do, on my oatmeal, I put two tablespoons of ground flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds. I put a handful of walnuts in my oatmeal. I'm eating lots of greens. Um, a person eating like that, do they also need to take a, a vegan DHA capsule? I don't think so, and I'm not 100% sure that they're completely benign. Uh, I'm going to be releasing a video on that. Uh, so that's why I, it's hard for me to say, yeah, everybody should spend $12,000 a year on, on a DHA supplement, even though you're eating all these precursors. Um, I'm not so sure that people need it. Now, the question is... Um, well, then test for blood tests. I'm told there's wide variation between the various labs. Um, so can you really trust the numbers you're getting back? I'm going to do that experiment. I'm um, getting kits from, uh, from the Omega Quant laboratories, from the Great Plains labs, from Quest labs. And on the same day when my blood, my DHA levels are the same, I'm going to send off the, a blood specimen to each of these three or four labs and let me get the numbers back. If they're all come in the same, then I'll say, okay, then, and then check your, your level. And, um, uh, and if it's low, then you should probably take some algae-derived DHA. Um, but if they come in all over the place, if one tells me my omega index is 8.6, another one tells me it's 2.4, then, uh, then how do you know what to do? And that's going to make me reevaluate it. So I've been holding back on my DHA uh, proclamation until I get my own blood test back. I'll have that done within a month. Uh, and then I will make a DHA uh, video on that. But I'm not convinced that healthy people eating a really uh, uh, omega-3 rich uh, kind of diet really need to be taking supplemental DHA. So it depends on whether we can test, trust the test and I'll find that out as I send off these blood tests and see what the results are. So uh, eat those flaxseed, ground flaxseeds and chia seeds and hemp seeds and walnuts do, and greens. Do that regardless because that's where the omega-3s are. Just do that for right now, and I'll let you know whether you can trust those tests. Well, that's awesome. You heard it here, guys. So <laughs> we, we'll be waiting for those results for the scientific study that you are about to uh, embark upon. I think we might have uh, time for one more question. Let's see. Cheryl Virus, thank you for watching.
Does the doctor recommend any supplements for those on a whole food, plant-based vegan diet? Oh, absolutely. You've got to take some vitamin B12. That's serious business. Do not neglect it. A thousand micrograms uh, twice a week would be would serve most everybody. Uh, make sure you've got a good iodine source for your thyroid gland, either um, a pinch of iodized salt or a gob of, of sea vegetables, wakame or arame, a couple times a week into your veggies. So the um, uh, uh, the, the B12 uh, and iodine are the two areas that uh, you might consider supplementing, uh, the, but the B12 for sure. So, uh, uh, and some of the other ones, you know, we've talked about DHA, uh, the rest you ought to be able to get from your food, the vitamin K2 and the, uh, the zinc, get those out of grains, legumes and greens, uh, you ought to be okay. But the, the B12 is for sure and the iodine possibly. Oh, thank you so much for that. As everybody can see, you just have a vast knowledge about so many parts of the body and, and the diseases that we have to concern, be concerned about, nutrition. And although I encourage everybody to see your primary care doctor when you need to, sometimes we do have a question and we don't always get the opportunity to come on the broadcast like this and ask you directly. But we are so fortunate that you offer telemedicine. Is that right? right. Thank you. Great minds think alike. I was hoping you'd mention that. If people want to do a real consultation with me, uh, you can reach me through plantbasedtelehealth.com, plantbasedtelehealth.com, and you can arrange a uh, nutritional consultation with us. Thank you, Amy, for uh, for getting that word out there. So plantbasedtelehealth.com for consultation. And we're, we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. Now, do you do that nationally, internationally? I know there used to be some restrictions. Right. I, I can only uh, see states, uh, see people in the states I'm licensed in, Florida, California, New York, and Hawaii. But I work with three, with four other physicians now, and they have medical licenses in all the states. So if you don't talk to me, talk to Dr. Lori Marvis, Dr. Chris Miller. Uh, they're all knowledgeable in plant-based uh, healing and uh, you can get the information you're looking for for one of them. So among the, the five of us now, there's five doctors on staff, you'll be able to get the, the guidance that you need. Oh, that's wonderful. So is there anything else that you wanted to add to uh, our conversation today? Uh, Plant-based nutrition is, is the wave of the future. It, it'll make us healthy as individuals and as a species. If we want to stay on this planet, it's time for Homo sapiens to adopt, you know, to honor our plant-based nature and adopt a plant-based diet, to let the earth heal, to let the forest come back, to let the waters run clean again, to absorb the greenhouse gases on so many levels. Uh, if you've not read a book called Comfortably Unaware, uh, go to their website, read that book. Uh, and, uh, and educate yourself in the importance of a plant-based diet to save our planet, save our future. It's the kids' world we own. Uh, so, uh, so everyone needs to eat plant-based. The animals will thank you as well, and everything will get greener along the way. Go green. <laughs> well, that, that is awesome information for us and very encouraging, and I hope everybody, we're going to, all the things you talked about, we're going to put links and everything in the show notes so that people can have access to that information. And I'm really excited because I wanted to announce that we're going to have a, another guest coming up very soon in our broadcast, Dr. Ron Weiss. And Dr. Ron Weiss oh, is a, oh, yes, he's a vegan, he's a physician, and he's a farmer. And on my top list of people, including 
you because you are my top list. He is somebody that I respect and admire. And you guys can tune in on Friday, March 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern, and he'll do a Q&A. And he talks about nutrition, and he talks about health, and he talks about plants and how they are very beneficial to you and they communicate with each other and have all kinds of phytochemicals. You're gonna learn a lot if you're a biology geek like me. And I wanted to thank you again, Dr. Clapper, because I know that you are with your initiative for moving medicine forward and your telehealth and your master classes and all the interviews that you're doing, you are a very busy person. And you took that time and shared it with us and shared it with our viewers and listeners and we really all appreciate it those of you that didn't get your questions answered go ahead and contact dr clapper with the telemedicine and he can get you set up if he's not in your state he'll get you somebody that can and i also wanted to thank somebody that's been in the background and that is rebecca from pka style she's been our engineer and she's been doing all the things she's been driving the plane so i could sit back and eat non-salted raw peanuts and watch a movie. <laughs> so it's been very nice to have her there. I also wanted to thank Jessica and she's from JessTassetVoice.com and she did the countdown for us. She has a lovely voice and she, she's been very helpful. Most of all, I wanna thank you guys because if you're not here, we wouldn't be here. And when you watch and share and subscribe and click like, you are voting for this lifestyle. You're vo voting for our environment, for the animals, for the world, and you're voting that the internet is gonna move this up in the algorithm so that people like you can find this information. People that are hurting and that have health issues, they need this information. So push it on up in the algorithm and help them out. Remember, you can also do this in the comments as we sign off with Dr. Clapper. So type this in the comments be strong, be well, and be green. green. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.